1: University Press Books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Joel Cherney. My guests today are James Leo Cahill and Luca Caminati, editors of the book Cinema of Exploration, Essays on an Adventurous Film Practice, published in 2021 by Routledge. In our discussion, James and Leo review the concept of cinema of exploration, as well as how they found their contributors, and how each essay fits into the exploration concept. I hope you enjoy my conversation with James Leo Cahill and Luca Caminati. Hi, James. Hi, Luca.
0: Hello. Hi.
1: Hi, Joe. Uh, the book is called Cinema of Exploration, Essays on an Adventurous Film Practice, and I'm talking to James Leo Cahill and Luca Caminati, uh, who are the editors. One of the things I remember when we were first discussing doing this interview was that uh, many of the books I do uh, often are historical nature or very specific. So this is a more unusual collection in that uh, it's a topic that I think is definitely interesting, but is a little less little less unusual, more unusual for me. So I'm glad we're having chance to talk. So uh, before we start talking about the book in detail, I'd like to get a little bit of background. Uh, I know you're both north of the border, and I'm going to say Canada, but I know the people in Montreal don't always <laughs> want to admit they're from Canada. So uh, <laughs> we'll put it that way. So James, you're in Toronto at the um, um, if you could give me your background a little bit, uh, you're, you're at the University of Toronto and it's interesting, you're in cinema studies and French. So, uh, there you go. So, uh, what, what is your background as get of film writing and, and film scholar?
0: Sure thing. So, um, I'm an American by birth and, uh, trained in the States and in France and, uh, that, you know, by good fortune of getting a job uh, in a difficult market, ended up uh, happily in Toronto at the University of Toronto. And I'm a specialist, um, particularly of French cinema, uh, mostly of the mid 20th century. Uh, the first book I wrote is called Zoological Surrealism, the non human cinema of Jean Painlevé. Um, And I work on animals in cinema, on historiography, and I Teach broadly French cinema, international cinema, and film historiography and theory, um, and that's a pretty concise uh, description of what I do.
1: <laughs> now, Luca, you're at uh, the at Concordia University in Montreal. So, what's what's your background?
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, I uh, did my entire schooling in, in the United States in the sense that I went to school in Wisconsin. I, I, uh, I have a PhD from, from Madison, Wisconsin. And after that, exactly like uh, uh, like James, I uh, uh, taught in Florida and then in New York and ended up uh, in Montreal, which is a wonderful place to be. Um, Concordia is an Anglophone university in a Francophone province. So We attract a lot of students uh, from both the sort of Francophone local Quebecers to Canadians to international students. And as you said, we have a very large film studies program. Uh, We have now a Ph.D. and an M.A. So it's a it's a great center uh, for the study of cinema and for the study of, let's say, film and media. Um, and uh, and I, my personal, uh, my work uh, is mostly on Italian film. Uh, I take a very specific take, uh, which we can broadly define as postcolonial, colonial uh, And by that, I mean, I'm interested mostly in cinema of the 60s and 70s um, in relationship to issues of decolonization and colonization. Um, I've written on Pasolini's films in Africa, on Rossellini's films in India. Um, and in a way, uh, this is how James and I uh, got together, basically, about the, on this project. It's uh, precisely because of this interest we have in uh, notion of travel and, uh, and cinema. that Maybe James can talk more about this later.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> I always like to know. I mean, I'm, obviously, we know that academia is a networking job. I mean, networking is very important. So I assume that that's always been important for you two. And is that where the two of you first uh, learned of each other or got to a point where you would wanted to do a uh, essay collection like this? James, if Um, you want to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I'll start. I mean, uh, Canada is geographically very large, but is uh, population-wise... You know, pretty pretty modest compared to the states. So the uh, intellectual networks are pretty tight, and I certainly knew of Luca's work when i when I'd arrived as a, a new newly minted doctor uh, at the University of Toronto, and he came through and gave a fantastic uh, talk in Toronto around a Pasolini retrospective, and then I was invited to give a talk on part of what's my my next big book project on. Um, cinema and literature of exploration in France from the Little Prince to the Planet of the Apes. Um, uh, I gave a talk at Concordia through through uh, uh, a colleague of um, Lucas who invited me and uh, I give a talk on jacques Cousteau and Louis Malle's Le Monde de Silence um, that like Lucas uh, approach to the materials um, was uh, thinking about this filmmaking practice within the kind of larger geopolitical an aesthetic context of the 1950s. And I think Luca had just had a child and maybe slept through my talk, but afterwards we had a really wonderful conversation. And I think we just hit it off immediately um, as, as kind of fellow travelers uh, and people who are good at sparring with each other in, in ways. Uh, Luca, is that an accurate uh, description of our meat cute? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's perfect, James. It's exa- It's exactly what happened.
0: <laughs> but uh,
2: yeah, so basically, I think that, uh, uh, as I said, our collaboration started, as Jim just said, when I heard him spoke about uh, World of Silence, the the Cousteau's film, the, one of the first underwater uh, uh, feature films ever made. And what I was interest, what interests me about James' approach is the fact that um, he combines uh, immense erudition uh, as far as particularly French cinema uh, and a natural curiosity that comes from the fact that he grew up in the Bronx and that he had to fight his way up. So he combines the best of the of two worlds and uh, so this is how we, we start working on this and we sent out a call for papers. Um, asking colleagues around the world, in fact, to send their submission. And this call for paper was widely disseminated in Europe, uh, in Asia, in, uh, in the United States, um, in North America in general. And we were incredibly surprised to see how many proposals we received. I forgot. I, I think we received about 80, if I remember correctly. It was um, a huge number, yeah. It was a huge number of proposals, which to us meant that we were on the right track, right? You know, because if you send, if you put out a call and you receive five, 10, 15 proposals, <laughs> you know that you are, you know, quote unquote, hitting the wrong note, meaning nobody is interested in that. We had an incredible response from, and what was interesting was that this response came from both um, older, well-established uh, academics to PhD students, very young people, um, Wide gender diversity, both men and women uh, 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 sending their proposal, as well as geographically, because as you can see from the list of, uh, uh, of contributors, uh, we really managed to, to gather a wide array of contributors from literally the world over. So we were very, very excited. In fact, I must say that the most difficult thing about this book was the selection. That is to say, Absolutely. we had to say no to very well-established scholars, colleagues of ours, in fact, um, in <laughs> Canada and North America. Because you know when you put together a collection, um, you, the, you always have to have in mind what is good for the collection, not what it's good for you or for your colleague. And so what we wanted to have was a, the widest possible variety of topics, approaches, Uh, methodologies uh, and we wanted to move temporarily from the quote-unquote beginning of cinema and in fact we have some essays that deal with early travel filmmakers from the uh, 19th century or early 20th century to uh, drones which in fact uh, and we do have an essay in fact by by Gru on by Catherine Grew on, on the use of drones in mapping Antarctica. So we really wanted to capture the both temporal, geographic and me- methodological span of what exploration means um, in relationship to, well, in this collection we call cinema, but what we really mean is the world of moving images, whether it is cinema as a theatrical experience, Uh, or early theatrical experience, or um, television, or your computer, or whatever it is that we're using nowadays uh, to watch uh, moving images?
0: Yeah, if I can just append to that, uh, I'll I'll echo just the absolute difficulty we had. There could have been four or five volumes from the great work we got, Um, and with any anthology, there's always promised essays that don't quite appear due to the contingencies of life. Um, but we what we really set out to do and what we ended up, I think, realizing pretty well is just um, capturing how important exploration is as a practice and concept to the very history and theorization and conceptualization of cinema and other moving image motion um, traditions that, um, in terms of deep archival research and the entire history of cinema from the Lumiere brothers sending out people all over the world with their cameras to the kind of technological explorations that this mode uh, requires that often become a way of developing the medium itself to the forms of sensuous and perceptual exploration that uh, moving image media allow us, that all of this was kind of encompassed a, by our hopes for the uh, anthology, and then by the actual kind of volume of wonderful essays we got, um, which really tell us this is a global phenomena that is at the heart of this kind of uh, art and, and practice of the 20th and into the 21st century.
1: One of my questions I always have with edited collections is you know, how did you pull together your essays? um obviously Luca did a great job of answering that before I even had to ask it so that I appreciated that um <laughs> what's interesting to me is that you're like you just said if you end up getting that many um submissions and they're from all over the world I mean some collections tend to be more regional yours is clearly uh, all over the place which is which obviously helps because I often tell students that they, they should spend more time on reading essays and less time on reading books, especially younger students who are just getting, you know, taking introductory class to history just because, like, it's a requirement. They, they, they tend to focus on big books and stuff, and I say, you know, it's unbelievable how much you can learn by just reading essays. And so essay collections are always great for that kind of thing because you, you don't have to read the whole book, so to speak, if you don't want to, or you can refer back. Much easier, so that's great. Um, drone cinema. There was one thing I was going to joke when Luca brought it up is that every single local television commercial producer now understands drone cinema because I haven't seen hardly anything anymore where <laughs> you don't get a picture of a drone, you know, picture from a drone camera. It's just become the norm. Yeah, we <laughs> call absolutely.
2: it we call it drone drone porn now. <laughs> because...
1: Yeah, it's just it it's it's sort of interesting that way, but it is true. I mean. I've seen more car dealerships from the air around here (laughs)
0: Uh because they
1: all do their drone photos. Anyway,
0: I I was going to say, interesting, like real estate people now use drones all the time. You have all these like phantom rides through homes and stuff. Uh, It's become a kind of ubiquitous uh, uh, aesthetic of our moment. Yeah and, and yeah, and,
2: yeah no, and, and imagine when that drone is gonna shoot a gun as well as uh, <laughs> uh, just to film it. So it's gonna add an extra layer of excitement to our daily life. So
1: yes, I was gonna say we'll wait to using a drone as a as a steady cam will uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. When as usual when every when there's a new technology, overuse becomes the norm. So anyway, so let's go ahead and start getting deeper into the book. Now, the, obviously, the introduction, the first uh, chapter, so to speak, the two of you wrote, in which you basically lay out your um, your background of the, uh, of your project and your and your topic. You also made sure to include a lot of information about older writings, and that's always important. The literature search that you included is great because. It allows people to understand a little bit more, but you start the whole thing with the story of the Mars rover Curiosity, and let's start with that a little bit because I think it does a good job to understand because it uses the word curiosity, which of course was the name of the rover, but exploration and curiosity tend to go together. So, uh, what uh, what basically are you were you trying to lay out to start this? Uh, this group of, collect, of of essays. And I don't know which one of you want to start with that, but that's what I'm wondering.
0: I'll start off with that uh, because, you know, it was, it was through a, a graduate student from a, another university in Canada had posted just the footage of, of the Curiosity rover's um, uh, panoramic views of the crater it had just reversed. Uh, traversed over the past couple of years and uh, saw this image. And, you know, it brought together both one of the classic early cinema genres, the panoramic genre, which are literally these just views of interesting places um, with the kind of most advanced capital intensive scientific research intensive practices of moving image production of our epoch which is the the kind of um exploration of outer space um and particularly the the important role of the production of audiovisual media not only for the um kind of pure research but for the kind of dissemination of that research um th- this kind of weird historical convergence comes through and that uh you know thank goodness the The rover was not named, you know, Rover McRoverface or whatever. Um, You know, it was named Curiosity, which is is precisely the drive um, behind so much of um, the kind of genuine cinema of exploration we were interested in. Of course, exploration, as I'm sure we're going to say a little more in this, this conversation, is deeply tied to histories of colonialism, imperialism, conquest, and exploitation. Um, but it is also driven, often at the same time and in complicated ways, by a genuine desire to, to expand knowledge of the world and to encounter the unfamiliar, the strange, the exciting, and the new. And there was something of just almost so perfect about this Curiosity uh, rover, which is a camera-equipped audiovisual um, uh uh, instrument, you know, a, a kind of real-life wali that um, was doing both historical work and reverberating with a whole history of image practices and the most cutting-edge kind of capital and scientific intensive forms of exploration of our moment. Uh, Luca, you want to add to that in any way? Um, yeah, so exactly.
2: We took we took uh, uh, Curiosity, the, the name of the rover, as a kind of a let's say a metaphor, if you like, in order to investigate uh, what uh, curiosity and exploration meant uh, for cinema. So that was our starting point. And, you know, as you know, uh, the cultural imagination uh, the world over right now is very much taken up by Mars and this idea <laughs> of the, you know, voyage to Mars and, uh, and. Uh, we can we can actually say that there is a whole market right now of Mars-induced media. That is to say, there is a there is a whole business around this uh, trip to Mars. Um, one of the inspiration for um, for our book was a, a study conducted by an anthropologist who is I think at Yale right now. Her name is yeah. Lisa Messeri. Um, and she's a, she does um, exoplanetary anthropology, meaning that she studies anthropology of other planets. Obviously, she cannot go to other planets. So what she does, she studies locations on planet Earth of people that are, quote-unquote, pretending to be on other planets. So one of the chapters that we liked the most was her anthropological studies of a group of NASA scientists we're currently in the Utah desert, uh, involved in this Project Mars, and this Project Mars is a group of people, full-on grown-up scientists, who pretend to be on Mars uh, just in case uh, the actual trip, thanks to Elon Musk or whoever, will become will become available. So, uh, the fact that these people live in this fantasy world on the one hand and yet a very real world was another inspiration to figure out um, how uh, uh, filmmaking and uh, cinema more generally is very much part of this kind of endeavors because these fake mars explorers were in fact using cameras taking pictures documenting their uh, their trips as if they were on Mars. So at this point, it is very clear that uh, the 20s, if the 20th century was the age of cinema, the 21st century will be the age of the moving image more generally understood. Right? Go ahead, James.
0: Uh, yeah, and I was just going to say this also ties back to a centuries long practice of. The relationship between exploration and media. Uh, if you think about all the kind of um, accounts from the the fifteenth and sixteenth century at the emergence of you know the the kind of long understanding of modern literary forms, so many of them are are descriptions of exploration of of you know the explorations of new worlds and you know something like defoe's robinson crusoe would be a perfect example of this or even melville in the 19th century that there's this long tradition of of forms of dominant media whether it be print media at one age or moving image media at another age being deeply embedded both in the kind of transmission of exploration, but also the understanding and even the practice of exploration. So we see our work as fitting within also a longer historical practice and cultural studies practice of understanding the relationship between, you know, uh, exploration, media practice and epistemology.
1: One of the things I've noted, uh, first off, there's the infamous, uh, why did you climb Mount Mount Everest? Because it's there and i think so much of exploration <laughs> that we understand you're right there you, there's no question that colonialism had a lot to do with w- colonization and those kind of issues but then you look you think of some of the other explore you know just simply mapping an area that you explored a map, you explored to f- to go places that no one's ever been before. I mean, those kind of issues, and then doc- documenting it. And one of the things I noticed as I went through some of the essays, which is great, is that yes, a lot of it, if you think about it, you you see it in documentaries. But you also made sure to um, talk with get get essays from folks who reviewed it in the narrative film, experimental film, other kinds of ways too. So it's not just the most obvious way that I would think most people would think of a a documentary.
0: Yeah, I think this is our I think Luke and I both share a commitment to thinking cinema really broadly and understanding the, the kind of larger ecology of media that that cinema is not just, you know, feature length narrative fiction it's not just documentary you know that you have to be thinking across these modes and that exploration is one of the things that unites so many different practices of of cinema and media making is that they share an interest in thinking through this both at a narrative level but also at the level of film form and and technique
1: so let's actually get into the parts Um... The, the book is divided into four parts, and we'll talk about each part individually. And so as we go through them, I'd love to hear your descriptions of how you decided what the four parts were going to be, or the, what, how you decided the parts. And I'm assuming a lot of it had to do with what kind of essays you received. I suspect in a, in a project like this, you weren't completely sure, so you had to wait until you actually had content to decide the structure but i'm sure also you had ideas in mind as to ways you wanted to to present the information. So part 1 is called Explorations in Perception. There's four four essays in that part and James, why don't you start with uh, describing the, the the part and talking about the essays in that part.
0: Yeah, sure thing. So i mean one of the the kind of big takeaways of this book is that um, we, we wanted to think about cinema of exploration as a particular tradition of filmmaking, you know, telling stories, whether documentary or narrative about, you know, exploration, about encounter. But we also wanted to think of cinema as a form of exploration, which is to say largely an instrument of sensuous and perceptual um, uh, extension and um, experimentation and so the first section really um in on um theorizing and giving historical account of the ways that that cinema and other moving image media whether it be microscopy uh uh, you know microscopes uh connected with uh, uh cameras or uh drones you know filming the the ice melts of the uh greenland ice sheet um how these um these technologies and techniques were were engaging in forms of perceptual exploration, uh, ranging from films about chasing bugs to ingesting psychedelic drugs. Um, And so we have an essay by Vishnu Priya Ghosh called Chasing Bugs, Microbial Frontiers in American Epidemiological Documentaries, 1946 to 1960, which looks at largely um, uh, corporate or state sponsor, or uh, yeah, state-sponsored documentaries about um, uh, microscopic beings as a frontier of the new American kind of military concern. Um, Oliver Geiken wrote a wonderful essay for us about the science fiction film *Fantastic Voyage*, which is about you know shrinking people down to miniature uh, size, injecting them into a body of a person, and exploring the interior recesses of the body as a kind of Um, Terra Nova. Um, And he does a beautiful job um, using Andre Bazan's kind of thought uh, and expanding it in ways that people usually wouldn't uh, expect to think about the kind of rich set of archives that are at play in in that science fiction film. Um, Juan Carlos Case uh, gave us an absolute bananas in the best possible sense. essay uh, called outer and inner space psychedelia and uh, selected representations of altered consciousness in experimental cinema, which wanted to think about um, drug trips as a kind of exploration and voyage. Um, And, you know, uh, his essay, but so many of the essays in this collection are just a blast to read. They're both rigorous but also really playful in in where they want to take their thought. And then rounding out that first section is Catherine Grew's essay we've also met, we've already mentioned called "Weird Loops: Climate Change, Drone Cinema, and the Work of Mourning," which thinks about uh, the kind of ubiquitous use of drone media, not just in military application but also uh, to document climate catastrophes of our moment and how it calls for a different. Thinking about mourning that is oriented toward the future anterior, which is to say toward that which we will have lost. Um, so those are the kind of multi-perspectival ways we start out this collection in thinking about how cinema itself as a medium is engaged in forms of perceptual extension and exploration.
1: I know we were joking a little bit about drones before, but one of the things <laughs> drones do allow is they allow a filmmaker to get someplace that they normally couldn't get to. It's sort of like animation and CGI that they now allow filmmakers to create scenes and, and settings that they never could before. Well, drone footage, you know, Dave definitely does the same thing because it allows, uh, it allows people to get places that they wouldn't normally, you know, it used to be, you had to have a helicopter or a plane to get to some places or even, to get to certain types of, of footage, and now a drone can do it just as easily, uh, in many cases. I wanted to come back briefly to the one on Fantastic Voyage. It's one of those films that, I know, I don't know how often it's viewed these days, but uh, it 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 was. It is an interesting concept that, in order to you know, it's the concept of nanobites. You know that we accept they're human <laughs> beings instead of, of machines, but. The idea of a film where people explore the human body from within, uh, when it came out, I always, I, 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 do consider it to be a very interesting uh, a film, and I'm glad that somebody uh, is still writing about it.
0: Yeah, Oliver's uh, Oliver Gakin's piece, uh, who is a great historian of scientific cinema. I mean, what I love about the piece is that he takes really seriously a film that otherwise might be dismissed and does this great archaeology of seeing how, you know, what might be a kind of frivolous and and in ways charming, um, you know, fantasy of uh, the uh, milieu interior, the inner space of the body. Um, uh, the way this film was brought together was by bringing together Disney Imagineers, the people who were uh, making the, the first amusement park rides uh, for Disney World or Disneyland, um, with... Uh, medical experts, all these different vectors, all these different cultural practices coming together in this kind of frivolous and fun um, science fiction film that had surprising kind of, you know, speculative um, uh, resonance with, with, as you said, nanotechnologies, with all these forms that have kind of come to be. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that essay is is a really great um, distillation of a lot of the the hopes we had in putting together this um, this form and and approaching material that might seem familiar and opening it up in totally surprising ways. I think that one of the things Luca and I were delighted about was how these are not just essays about exploration, but they are essays that are explorative in their methodology, and in the kind of surprises and discoveries they find through the writing of the various texts they take up.
1: So Luca, is is there anything in particular you wanted to point out for this particular part?
2: Well, I don't know. I was thinking about, um, I'm, uh, you know, from from Canada, from Montreal, it's very amusing to look at the United States right now. And uh, I'm very interested in all these uh, conspiracy theories that are uh, floating around and that they're animate, they are entered now the mainstream. One of the conspiracy theory talks about uh, how Bill Gates is uh, miniaturizing microchips and put them in the uh, uh, vaccines that are going to go around so that he can control your body. So I think how you know how relevant a film like Fantastic Voyage was already capturing something that is part of. Uh, today's sensibility, that is to say the idea of the state controlling your body from the inside, right? And if you think about it, I don't know if you have seen the film recently, but it is a military operation, the one that is happening right there. Um, And in fact, the person who goes through that is an American agent who has been attacked by a probably Soviet Union or Russian uh, mission. So I was you know that, that essay by Gaken is really important, as you said, because the film deserves attention, not just because it's visually impressive and it speaks to pop art and uh, and, and the kind of surrealist trend of 1960s American cinema, um, but also because it speaks to some sort of to some concern that are obviously very present. In the let's call it general American culture, this idea of con- the state controlling your body uh, one way or the other.
0: Yeah, and you know, oddly, that's also really strong resonance with uh, Vishnu Priya essay, uh, which she very lightly and with a skillful hand allows leads us to kind of begin to think about the discourse that the the rotten administration that is fortunately going away um, had around COVID. And, and connecting, yes, fingers crossed, uh, and connecting uh, a discourse from the, the beginning of the Cold War about the militarization of um, disease and of foreign bodies um, with, uh, you know, the deeply disturbing discourse that was kind of perpetuated around um, COVID and um, in absence of any actual coordinated efforts to to address, you know, public health, so... Uh, We've also been surprised and maybe not delighted, but um, uh, intrigued by the ways in which these like careful historical or speculative theoretical um, essays have come to reverberate profoundly in our moment.
1: Well, conspiracy theories have been with us forever. Uh, They're not necessarily just United States, although I still think (laughs) I do believe that the United States, for some reason, seems to sometimes find the most interesting ones. My favorite is, and the problem with most conspiracy theories is no matter what you do to try to uh, to go against it, they will say, well, we just don't know. And so, for example, trying to explain to somebody that you can't put chips in people f- for tracking purses- purposes without some sort of power source, and they say, well... I'm sure he got that in there, you know. So even though we know these things don't exist, the average conspiracy person's going to say, "Well, we don't know that they don't exist; that they exist, but they probably do." So <laughs> anyway. Well, this is exactly what uh, Catherine grew called weird
2: loop, right? Yes. <laughs> it is precisely the fact that the conspiracy theory, in fact, is reinforced by you saying that this is not true, right? The conspiracy theory feeds precisely on the fact that you are alone. You're a kind of a uh, lonesome cowboy fighting for freedom, right? So it it fulfills a beautiful uh, sense of weakness and narcissism that we all have, uh, thinking that we are somehow <laughs> the only one to be right, or the very few to be right, or to be at the avant-garde of something. Um, it's interesting to look. Well, maybe we should have another podcast on conspiracy theory. What about that? Oh, <laughs> well,
1: there's plenty of them out there, both pro and against them. So, anyway, let's let's go ahead and move on to part two, cinema of expedition. Oh, uh, now this one you've got uh, five essays. So, um, and we also one of the things I noticed in this one was we get more. we, we do. Once again, we deal with, with documentary, but we also once again come back to um, films that aren't documentaries but were narrative in the case and experimental as well. So, James, uh, what was part two meant to represent?
0: So, part two both wanted to be a rehearsal of a kind of historical trajectory of, of um the tradition of the cinema of exploration, while also provincializing that or, or displacing the often Western-centric understanding of that tradition by bringing new stories or overlooked stories from the history of this uh, tradition of exploration into play. So the five essays in that section, we have Vincennes, Hedega's, um, Chance wrote the screenplay, reality directed the film, the exploration films of Hans Haas. And Haas was the Austrian contemporary to Jacques-Yves Cousteau. Uh, and the two of them, in fact, were were kind of friendly rivals of each other. Um, and so he gives us a great account of, um, of Haas's career and also the emergence of um, early ecological thinking and its deep relationship or reliance upon technological mediation. Um, Inga Poleman, uh, another Germanist, uh, contributed a great essay called Environmental Aesthetics, Tracing a Latent Image from Early Safari Films to Contemporary Art Cinema. And again, is thinking about the long arc of exploration as a motif. She looks at the safari films of the Belgian uh, uh, filmmaker Alfred Machin Uh, and puts them into conversation with contemporary art cinema to think about how exploration often punctures the, or suspends the traditional relationship between figure and ground, which is to say that it brings out the environment as a kind of active agent of of, uh, what's happening in these films. Uh, Liz Schack, who's a fantastic historian of North American cinema, gives us an essay called Traveling the World with a Smile, James Fitzpatrick's Travel Talks, which looks at the development of the travel log practices from, from the illustrated lecture of the silent era through uh, one of the most popular media figures of early sound film in America, James Fitzpatrick, uh, and his kind of congenial and sometimes condescending um, development of a narrative of tourism that would really um, bring the world to millions of viewers at that moment uh, in popular cinema. Then John Krylin, who's one of the kind of best historians of underwater cinema, gives us this really interesting essay called Aquariums, Diving Equipment and Undersea Films of John Ernest Williamson, which looks at the, early 20th century attempts to um, film underwater and the manner in which uh, John Ernest Williamson developed technologies, uh, notably the um, watertight caisson, which is a kind of submersible tube, and then this this steel and glass dome, which is effectively a a submerged uh, aquarium in order to bring the film studio to the bottom of the sea. And, And I think one of the kind of surprising stories Krylin ends up telling us is early experiments with how to rectify the quality of studio filmmaking with um, uh, forms of location shooting. And then uh, the final essay in this section is by Lin Zhang, uh, this wonderful essay called Sounding Travel Documentary in Wartime China, The Dual Journey of Long Live the Nation, uh, in which uh, Zhang uh, it re-engages with a recently discovered film um, from Chinese film history called Long Live the Nation, made by an uh, uh, actor and filmmaker named Zhang Zhonglin, um, who, who gives us a version of the travel film and the ethnographic film that, um, unlike most of the history of these forms, which is deeply embedded in a kind of imperialism and colonialism, was um, kind of generated in the struggle against the Japanese occupation and against global fascism in the 1930s and 1940s in China. And so uh, Zhang's work is a really important contribution to beginning a counter archive or counter history of a cinema of exploration that's all too often thought exclusively from a Western perspective. Um, So those are kind of the interventions that, that happen in that second section of the book.
1: I will tell you I think Jacques Cousteau in in the United States at least and and he was a pioneer for television as far as Absolutely. these kind of, of 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 materials I mean the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau it was a regular show that was on all the time it got high ratings it was just he seemed to be able to figure out a way to tell a story uh in such an interesting format that even to this this day, um, his material is groundbreaking.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm working, one of the chapters of my next book is on Jacques-Yves Cousteau. And as a child, I mean, I'll just show, this won't come out in the podcast, but I have a red beanie, kind of like Cousteau, because I grew up watching PBS. uh, and, And while Luca says I'm a Bronx kid, I did move to the suburbs uh, so I'm also a soft suburban child, uh, just so I, I will temper my street cred. But Cousteau was absolutely um, pivotal to the renaissance of the exploration genre, uh, or this mode rather, that it had a, a kind of, you know, it's had many cycles of importance throughout the history of cinema. Early cinema is totally motivated by the, the drive to go out and show things from all over the world. And so the modernity of cinema is is articulated directly with the modernity of new forms of rapid travel, whether steamship, airplane, et cetera, automobile, train. Um, And Cousteau becomes part of that second form where we're now uh, through uh, scuba diving, doing the new immersive form of cinema, uh, which absolutely uh, uh, kind of set on fire the imaginations of, generations of of people around the world. Uh, And Cousteau is a really interesting subject because his perspective changes, he learns as he makes the films and ends up if he begins by dynamiting coral reefs in order to do fish uh, surveys, he ends by being one of the important voices in the Save the Whales movement and in the um, need to conserve the seas. So part of that history is also traced through these great chapters.
1: Thinking Apple TV Plus has just got a new series out on exploration, and they're using new cameras that will now allow you to film at night and make it look like it's daylight. And the ability to see what, in this case, wildlife looks like when we can't see what it looks like. And it's just an example, once again, where exploration can be can change or expedition will change based on technology.
0: Absolutely. And just to tie back to something you said earlier, we see what often starts in these exploration modes then will will migrate into mainstream cinema. So like the cliche of the drone shot that starts with a military, you know, um uh, uh maneuvers and B with the kind of scientific um documentation of of climate change ends up then being every car dealership and, you know, every establishing shot for, for you know, feature films now. Uh, and I think we'll see the same happen with the night vision uh, and these other technologies.
1: Luca, um, what do you have comments that you want to make about this particular section? Uh,
2: what I found, uh, this is the most historical of, uh, of the all our section. But what's interesting is that we see very well one of the reasons, which is exactly what you point out, one of the reasons why cinema inspiration is still such an important mode uh, of filmmaking. And it has to do with the connection uh, between technology, if you like, and ideology. That is to say, the relationship between what we wanna do and how we can do it. And if you think of cinema as a machine, a 20th century machine, uh, we see this machine adapting to the new realities in the same way in which we will be driving electric cars very soon. Um, uh, uh, the digital, the portability of, of cameras has made this exploratory mode even more a necessity. You know, it's the, it's a little bit the chicken and the egg. Does it come, the desire to film be, uh, before the technology or is the technology that activates the desire to discover? Well, oftentimes, the answer is both. It is both the chicken and the egg. The two feeds each other the desire to do something, um, and the possibility, the physical, actual, technological ability to do it allows you to do that.
1: So now we're getting now part three, narratives of exploration, and we're getting into the word narrative now, but uh, it's not just traditional narratives. There's um, other things that are presented in this particular part. And so we'll turn to Luca now to talk a little bit about part three, including um, what the overall theme is, yep. is and, and, and the, something the, about the essays. There's four essays yeah, in part
2: three. Yeah, yeah so in, in this section, we put together uh, four essays that dealt with uh, exploration as a narrative form. Uh, so the first essay is by Nora Alter, who teaches at uh, Temple University in Philadelphia, exploring Chris Marker's Cuba, Shivers and Rhythms, in which she analyzed the films that Chris Marker, the French filmmaker, uh, made in the 60s. Marker was a committed uh, third worldist and, uh, and uh, an active participant in the Cuban Revolution. So he had incredibly privileged access to uh, early revolutionary years. Uh, in Cuba. Um, these films are now actually, Cuba's, Cuba C is probably the most, the best known. These films are now available on YouTube, so that gives them <laughs> an opportunity to watch them. Uh, Nora investigates the use of sound. Um, for any fan of, of Chris Marker, uh, this essay will be a great addition to what they already know, because very few people have talked about these Cuban films, um, and few have talked about uh, the ability of Chris Marker to use uh, uh, found footage, uh, actually filmed uh, footage, and the combination of uh, live sound uh, and uh, um, the, the use of music, particularly for, for Cuba. Uh, the second essay, Like a Mobile Living Archive, Antonioni the Traveler, is by Marco della Gassa, who's was a professor of cinema at the University of Venice in Italy. And uh, here he talks about uh, something that it's very, very uh, obscure. Antonioni's quote unquote, never made film in Japan. Antonioni was invited by Sony to Japan to advertise their new Betacam, and we go back to the technology issue. So they basically gave Michelangelo Antonioni a Betacam and told him to travel around the country and do whatever he wanted. This footage sat for a long time in the Italian television archive uh, it was sh- partially shown in different occasions, but recently it was put together and uh, and uh, uh, shown as an installation piece, not as a single-channel film. This was a a, a show done uh, uh, in a museum in Venice. Uh, so Dalagasa takes this opportunity to talk about how cinema is moved from single-channel to uh, uh, installation, what we call from the black box to the white box, right, to the to the gallery. And at the same time, to talk about, once again, technology, uh, this incredible invention, the beta cam that would have changed our world, and that, funny enough, had probably one of the shorter lifespan in the history of, of technology. Um, I remember I had a friend with a beta, beta cam, and we used to look at it as if, literally, it was an object from from outer space. Um, the the next essay is by Malini Gua, who is a colleague at the, at Carleton University in Ottawa. And she writes about uh, a wonderful Portuguese filmmaker, Mikhail Gomes and his Arabian Nights. The title is "Adventure Cinema and the Age of Austerity, the Case of Miguel Gomes, Arabian Nights trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who haven't seen, Arabian Nights is uh, available, I think, on Criterion right now. Uh, Miguel Gomez is a very interesting, art, um, uh, uh, let's call it uh, art cinema uh, director. Um, and uh, here the notion of exploration is used metaphorically uh, by uh, Malini Gua in her essay. And basically she analyzes this trilogy and and establishes a relationship between uh, the notion of exploration and the European uh, uh, policies of economical austerity, which uh, plagued Europe from the beginning of the 2000s up until very recently. Um, the last essay is from my colleague at Concordia, Catherine Russell. Catherine Russell is um, a groundbreaking scholar with her uh, with her books on the relationship between avant-garde cinema and uh, an anthropology her book experimental technology which came out uh, experimental pardon me experimental ethnography uh which is i think came out in in the t- in the year 2000 is still a essential book for anybody interested in in anthropology uh, writes about two um, uh two very interesting films that uh came out recently uh one is a uh, zero guerra uh, embrace of the serpent and uh the other one is actually an installation piece by Laura Baumgartner that was shown recently uh, in Germany, and she <clears throat> talks about the role of forest and uh, uh, the vegetal vegetal world in these two contemporary films.
1: You're talking about the Betacam, and it seems like every time we have technology, new new things in technology, there always has to be competition, or at least it used to be that way. I don't know if it's that way now these days. And I still remember when beta, when when home video first premiered, and it was beta versus VHS, and, of course, VHS won that battle, even though most people felt that Betamax, the, you know, the actual home video part of it, had a better picture. <laughs> so, And then, of course, we saw the same thing with high-definition of uh, DVDs and things like that. So anyway, um I guess uh but you're right. I mean, that's very modern now when you think about it. Everybody's now a videographer if they want to be because they've mm-hmm. got a camera and their you know, a video camera with them most of the time. So uh and some people have done really interesting work with using uh, something as simple as a phone for for some of their work. James, um what about what what was there in this part that that uh, you found particularly interesting?
0: Well, I think um, just to echo some of what uh, Lucas said, is these experiments with forms of storytelling that I think each of these authors is really attentive to, how the filmmakers or media practitioners they're thinking alongside uh, and, and, and teaching us about, are really trying to push, you know, the form of, of how we tell stories, how we understand the world through narrative forms. Um, and then the other kind of, to, to borrow Catherine Grew's term of weird loops, I think with um, a lot of these pieces, we we do see these, these questions of the way in which a long history of imperialism and colonialism is still being reckoned with in the present, such that, you know, in Malini Guha's wonderful essay um, set in Portugal, which is the center of the age of exploration of the 14th and 15th, you know, the 15th century. Um, it, it's Portugal which, which begins all of these missions to colonize the globe, then becomes eventually a kind of quote unquote victim of these forms of advanced capitalists that they helped plant the seeds for. Um, and so, and then Russell's and Alter's pieces, these are two of the kind of great senior scholars sinking through Uh, experimental media and through really important figures in that Um, so uh, yeah that's what I would add uh, to what this section is doing
1: so now we come to the fourth part the last part Uh, the first three chapters seemingly were if not uh, positive certainly not were neutral Uh, words like uh, perception and expedition and exploration but now we come to cinema of exploitation Obviously, that word makes it much less um, neutral than some of the other material we've been talking about. So, Luca, talk up to me about Part Four: Cinema of Exploitation and the three essays there.
2: Yeah, I am. Um, thank you. You you put it very well. In, in a way, the entire book is caught between these. Let's call. Let's say that the book has uh, a split screen format. On the one hand, there is this sort of childish excitement, uh, or childlike at least, excitement for the possibility of the camera to make you see things that you wouldn't be normally able to see, like like you just mentioned. And on the other, the fact that we know very well that from the very beginning of, of cinema, and even before at the very origin of exploration, there was some sort of media that recorded and that participated. And it was somewhat complicit in the form of exploitation, whether it was exploitation of resources, exploitation of people, um, exploitation of uh, the 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 under the there is the, res- the minerary for example resources of a country. So we 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 were very excited to receive a series of essays that spoke precisely to this uh, sort of dark side, if you like, of the exploratory mode. The first essay by Clarissa Clough, who is a professor at the University of San Diego. Um, deals with the Mondo films. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Sean. 60s and 70s in Italy, so uh, the production of a whole series of films triggered by one called Mondo Cane, which in English was, uh, in in America was distributed as It's a Dog's World. Um, And these films were incredibly popular, not just in Italy, but all over Europe and all over the United States. In fact, they were massively distributed in the B circuit of the of the United States. They are films that pretend to be ethnographic in which they pretend to show, you know, live life of people in faraway country, but most of the time they're an excuse to show nudity, uh, bizarre sexual uh, mores, uh, to um, show and exploit and diminish uh, the life of uh, non-western people. So, What's interesting about uh, Clarissa's essay is that she gives a gender reading of this uh, and she she gives a kind of a feminist queer reading of these films. And uh, I invite you all to to read the essay in order to find out what she says. Mm -hmm. Karine Bertrand um, is a colleague from Queen's University, uh, another Canadian. Uh, Karine is a Métis, that is to say, uh, she's a First Nation scholar. And her contribution is uh, for, I think, for American audience is probably the most interesting because um, uh, she develops uh, the concept of uh, uh, visual sovereignty. That is to say, the necessity for First Nation Aboriginal uh, people to reconquest, at least from a visual perspective, their own land. Um, Canada has at least in theory, uh, well, more advanced uh, understanding of the role of uh, uh, First Nations and uh, and the native population of the of the North. Um, I'm not saying that in any way Canada is better in dealing with this issue, but at least there is a recognition of the long history of exploitation uh, that the Canadian government throughout its history uh, and the crimes that have been perpetrated against uh, the native populations. I'm not just speaking out uh, of my own personal resentment. This was actually something that the Supreme Court of Canada uh, very recently defined as cultural genocide. Um, There are many colleagues in Canada who are very, uh, 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 very much engaged in this. Uh, and we have many colleagues in, in film and media study who are very interested in looking at ways in which the indigenous land have been historically represented. Karim Bertrand is one of them, and this is a very interesting essay because she looks at the way in which Quebec, the province, the Francophone province from which I'm speaking for, has been portrayed by white settler colonial versus the way in which uh, local... First Nation filmmakers are dealing with it. It, It's a very nice introduction to this uh, this field. So I invite anybody who was interested in these topics uh, to read it. Uh, The last essay by Brian Jacobson, who I think is at Caltech right now in California, um, is about BP, British Petroleum uh, Sponsored Films, and the way in which British Petroleum used cinema, uh, uh, propaganda, we might call it, in order to promote uh, oil oil extraction, have some sort of adventure. And so we we go back to the beginning of the book. Uh, they use the the excitement and the childlike ne- desire of people to discover for their own purpose, which is to extract oil from uh, from uh, uh, the land. Uh, all these issues are. Uh, summarized and reframed very well in the final essay of this book, which is written by Bashkar Sarkar, who is at the University of Santa Barbara, is one of the leading theorists in film and media study. We asked him to write a response or a coda. Uh, We decided to use a musical term for it (laughs) in order to give him a free hand. Basically, we, we gave Bashkar all the essays that we were planning to use, and we ask him to speculate on it. Um, And this is a wonderful, wonderful essay that it's impossible to summarize, but that basically retraces the history of the notion of exploration through cinema, starting from its very beginning, uh, from the early 20th century up until until now.
1: Great, I'm glad you mentioned that last one because I was trying to figure out, okay, it doesn't really fit into any of the parts, but I'm glad you talked about it right now. I found your description of the of the BP one to be particularly interesting because there are many uh, educational films done in, I don't know if other countries did them, but I know in the United States, uh, 40s and 50s in particular, and sometimes into the 60s, where these companies would develop these films that were supposed to be patriotic or uh, or educational, and yet they tended to be advertisements for the particular company that produce them, so uh, obviously BP learned from those uh, uh, from those types of material.
2: Yeah, and uh, uh, you know BP is is called British Pretorium, but it has been a worldwide multinet a true multinational for for many years. Uh, what's interesting about this film is the audience, right? All this company had had films in the same way in which your cal de- car dealer has. Uh, drone uh, advertisement on television, all major uh, capitalist companies have been using cinema to their own advantage. Uh, What's interesting for us is to, for whom, right? Who were they making these films for? And we have mostly assumed that these films were internal, right? That they were for the workforce, for the engineers. It turns out that they had a way wider distribution. For example, a lot of this company were donating their films to schools. Um, and and it, it, so basically this become a form of indoctrination into capitalism. Um, uh, Lee Grifson uh, very recently wrote a wonderful book that of course I'm forgetting the title right now. I don't know if James, you, you, you remember it. In which he basically say very plainly that the history of of uh, American cinema is a history of indoctrination into capitalism. Yeah, what, Go ahead, James. Cinema and the Wealth of Nations. Cinema and the Wealth of Nations. Yeah, this is a book by Lee Gripson that I strongly recommend. Um, and so we decided to close this book on on with 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 to close the the, the sports section precisely with oil drilling, um, because of the prominence of the oil industry throughout the world, because it. Ties very well with the notion of exploration. Remember, uh, uh, Jacques Cousteau was often sponsored by oil companies; uh, uh, that they were using him for prospecting, right, to to find uh, to find new uh, new oil fields. Um, but also because in this age, you know, in what we call the Anthropocene, the age of, the age of men, and because of the climate uh, of climate change, all of a sudden oil has become a very contested uh, uh, material and a very contested subject. Um, If you think of uh, the way in which uh, most countries around the world are trying to repurpose or rethink their economy outside of fossil fuel and outside of oil. We decided to close with Brian's piece precisely because oil is one of those 20th century material that literally fueled the world But it also fueled the imagination of the world. Um, It's difficult to think of uh, cinema without oil, for example, without oil exploration for everything that uh, that oil has brought to to the West.
0: Yeah, Uh, particularly because petroleum was so important to the actual creation of, you know, cinema as a medium.
2: Yeah.
1: So James, uh, you can finish up with your discussions if anything sure. i want to talk about this last
0: part yeah and i'll i'll be concise and i'll say i'll start with the coda by bashkar sarkar which is just to say that one of the things he does so wonderfully is is invites his readers to think about the potential of exploration within cinema studies as a methodology as a field that one of our tasks has to be to have that openness that critical minded engagement with um the, both world history, but with the possibilities of speculation, of the desire to dream and to take our mind elsewhere, because that's necessary for any form of possible future. And so I think Bashkar Sarkar does a beautiful job laying out one of the important stakes of, of film studies and of a project like this. And then the other small thing I'll say is, I think toward the end of Brian Jacobson's essay, a former colleague of mine, he says something to the tune of, um, you know, that that the British Petroleum was trying to create images of the world that also were actively remaking the world. And I think this relationship between um, documenting and producing is one that has been deeply tied to the history and to the present um, uh, uh, effect of moving image media, that they're not just passive reflections of the world, but actively shape and form um, how the world is understood and how it's, you know, um, put together. And thus it matters to kind of think carefully and critically about it. Um, the final thing I'll say, uh, is while we did kind of tidally break these essays into four sections, I think that they each speak very kind of carefully to each other as well, that each of the essays kind of touches upon the concerns of the other sections that we, we had a lot of fun kind of shuffling the deck. We I think we came to a very good set of conversations internally to the sections, but we hope that readers will find productive conversations between them.
1: I will say as, as a historian, there's no question that one of the things we always, we as historians worry about, is the fact that people tend to take cinema as gospel, or, you know, and so... Anything that is a quote-unquote historical film, you know, the, cons- the, the consistent worry that people take it as truth. And I think uh, your point was well taken as far as this kind of material that we've been talking about today as well. And its role in quote-unquote educating or giving people something to believe or not believe.
2: Yeah, and you know, this is interesting because um, uh, cinema of exploration wouldn't exist, of course, if there wasn't some what we call curiosity searching gaze, like the desire to see. On the other hand, this desire, this I've been calling childlike, you know, the desire is framed and shaped by very clear economic forces. And uh, and so, for example, going back to James to James' point, the dr- why is your is your uh, car dealer using the drone? Well, we might say that he's using the drone because it's there, right? Like you said, or you might use the drone because the drone brings back a certain archive. Let's call it. It triggers the audience uh, into quote-unquote, remembering something that they've seen in other places, right? It speaks to high production quality of Hollywood films, but maybe it speaks also of images that they've seen in the news, right? So a circuit all of a sudden is created in the moment in which you develop and and use a different technology. Um, And this circuit is what every spectator is inevitably involved with. You know, there is no uh, virgin spectator. Everybody has a whole history. Uh, and we are all trained whether we like it or not in seeing things in a certain way so the the sign uh, drone triggers something into our imagination whether it's war in Iraq or uh, uh, nature films right a whole constellation of signs uh, all of a sudden is triggered by by this drone floating. Um, over over the car, the car over deal, a sea right? of
0: Toyotas,
2: yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so that's why we were very excited with the, the way in which this collection came about because we managed to do some, you know, what I think is some groundbreaking historical work, bringing forth uh filmmakers that were kind of forgotten or never talked about, uh, or films by known filmmakers that were not known, like. The case of Marker and Antonioni, which we talk about minor films of famous actors, but also because we managed to bring together a very wide array of media that uh, are somehow in dialogue with the notion of exploration and uh, that managed to bring forth also the political aspect of what explorations mean and what exploration means to us in, you know, in 2021.
1: Well, I, we, we've had a great discussion. We got through the whole book and you and I think you gave you both gave great details about each of the essays. So we obviously hope that people reach out for this collection. And as I said before, you don't have to read every one of them from beginning to end. pick them, pick and choose to start with or read the whole thing. But like I said before, uh these are the kind of collections that I think are are just great because they have the ability to, to crystallize a, a, an idea, but with so many different voices, it, it just makes it so much better. So we've been talking about the book Cinema of Exploration, Essays on an Adventurous Film Practice with the editors, James Leo Cahill and Luca Caminati. Caminati I think I got it right that time. Uh, I want to thank both of you for finding the time to talk to me, and and, and I hope you both continue to do great work like you're already doing, that uh, hopefully we get out of the pandemic in the not-too-distant future, and we can start to see each other in person again.
0: <laughs>
2: thank you very much, Joel. This is a, this was very nice of you to invite us, and we hope that we managed to convey the enthusiasm that we put into the book to your listeners.
1: And James, yeah, you absolutely. get the last word.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Joel. It's been such a pleasure. It's been such a great time. And Yeah, we just really hope that our readers will come for these fantastic essays by such sharp scholars. So thank you so much. Look forward to seeing everyone in person in the future.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks a lot. My great thanks to James and Luca. While their concept is theoretical, their book does a great job of detailing the ideas with wonderful examples from the contributors. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more new books and film a podcast series on the New Books Network.